electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Anybody who thought we could get a debt ceiling deal smoothly without Rancor at any time before the very last minute must be a size buyer of the Tooth Fairy. Or maybe they think the Philadelphia Eagles fans would welcome Cowboy fans with open arms. Yet, that's exactly how the sellers reacted when Republicans this morning walked out of the meeting with Democrats who were supposedly eager to nail down a deal. And it's why we got hit today with the Dow seeking 109 points. That's beat declining 0.14% and the Nasdaq losing 0.24%. Now, after the raucous rally in the Nasdaq, driven by everything AI, it was inevitable we get some profit taking on the breakdown of the talks, right? I mean, just sell, 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 sell. And that's exactly what it did. We're just too far away from the debt ceiling deadline to get a deal done. And it doesn't help that the president's literally on the other side of the world in Japan at this very moment. I still believe we'll eventually get a deal here, but only once our leaders feel like there is a true gun to their heads. In 2011, we got a deal, uh, or only when they started worrying that the rating agencies would downgrade our debt, which Standard & Poor's ultimately did anyway. It's why I keep telling investing club members to maintain a healthy cash position, because it's just too easy to knock this highly elevated market down in the dumps like it did today. Now, next week, next week is going to be, frankly, no different. We'll come in on Monday with nothing done over the weekend in a sense that the clock is ticking. But the only thing that will actually matter on Monday is the Zoom quarter after the close. Hey, you know what? Something happened to Zoom. During the COVID lockdown, we were Zooming all over the place like crazy, right? But when things opened up, it seems like we all ended up on Microsoft Teams instead. I like the feature Zoom has added, including ways to teach people to sell things. But at this point, it doesn't matter because Microsoft has decided to make Teams the default video conferencing application on Windows, and that makes them very hard to beat. Tuesday's more torturous retail, just as we had in the last five days. This time it's Lowe's, which should have results similar to Home Depot and be greeted with fresh volatility. But where she stops, nobody knows. I was worried about Dick's Sporting Goods being too high, given that Sporting Goods has not been a strong category so far this uh, spring for the retailers who've reported. But I, I should have been more worried because Dick's got banged down nine bucks today. Hmm, maybe that immunizes this well-run company from a big downturn? Several analysts have predicted Williams-Sonoma will have a real weak quarter on Tuesday. Lately, that kind of negative retail story, it works. So don't be surprised if there is, one, a disappointment, and two, that it sends this tremendous retailer stock even lower than it is right now. After the close Tuesday, Toll Brothers reports that this home builder has been a real horse, along with Lennar, D.R. Horton, and Pulte. I expect still one more strong quarter, as the housing shortage never seems to abate. We could be short as many as 7 million homes in this country versus demand, and 
every time the Fed raises rates, all it seems to do is exacerbate the shortage, which then, of course, drives prices up, not down, even though that's exactly the opposite of what they want. Then there's Palo Alto Networks. Now, this is the best of the breed cybersecurity company. We own it for the Chapel Trust. I've talked about it a lot in the, uh, in the, at our club meeting on this week. Palo Alto has been incredibly reliable, even as there are always a couple of analysts who are negative on the story. This time should be no different, although there is a big short position being built up against Nikesh Aurora and Palo Alto for when they report. Wednesday is incredibly important because in the morning we get to hear from Kohl's and analog devices, and in the evening we hear from NVIDIA, Snowflake, and Elf Beauty. That's uh, I slips face. I'm very worried about Kohl's. It's been the retailer that can't shoot straight. Could be, the, could be a very hard quarter Maybe the hardest we've seen of the soft line department stores. On the other hand, analog devices, a chip maker that could have an amazing quarter. Why? Because it's focused on semiconductors for industrial end markets. And there the demand has never stopped. Snowflake's not really meant for quarterly reporting. They're building a rent-the-cloud business that should eventually be huge, maybe even take over the whole way that we look at the cloud. But you've got to be very patient, and patience is on short supply on Wall Street. Snowflake has run uh, lately because of its association with AI, with AI. It's a legitimate connection. If the stock weren't coming in so hot, I'd tell you to buy it ahead of the quarter. Elf Beauty is amazing. It's one of our junior growth stars. Remember, we just put together that great list of 10 that I'm going to be following all the time. It's taken the cosmetic shells by storm, whether it's not knockoff products. I predict still one more blowout. And then there's my beloved NVIDIA. Many people feel this is the most overhyped and overblown stock in the entire market right now because it's being valued at $773 billion. That is a large market capitalization. But in the end, stocks are valued on their future earnings prospects, right? And given that NVIDIA is the backbone of artificial intelligence, you could argue as the best prospects of any company in the entire S&P 500. That's what makes it so hard to value. But you know it's not going to be valued conservatively, not in this AI-obsessed market. What do I say, NVIDIA? Like Apple, own it, don't trade it. Next up, is there a stock more hated than Best Buy right now other than Foot Locker, which we said we have a small position for the Travel Trust. It's a placeholder. We are interested in finding a level to buy a lot of it because we believe Mary Dillon, but man, was that a bad quarter. Anyway, we keep hearing that nobody's buying anything important for their home because it's already been bought. We'll probably get the same story when Best Buy reports on Thursday. I'm reminded of what we heard on, uh, when Sonos reported. Basically, people are full up for stuff for the home. I have to admit that I am a little glad that I am not the terrific CEO, Corey Barry, because it is such a hard job right now. The only hope, hey, maybe Best Buy stock is so heavily shorted that it won't go down even if the quarter's miserable. That's about as good as it gets. I'm sorry. Now, there's Medtronic. This has been a percolating stock of late. I think they've got a good suite of new medical devices. Now, this stock had been waning in the last couple of years because Medtronic had a couple of backfire quarters. Some say it was because of COVID, people weren't going to the hospital. Now it's on the upswing along with the rest of the group because people are finally getting the non-urgent surgeries that they had to delay during the pandemic. Hey, you want a baby that's being thrown out with a bathwater? Consider this situation. Ralph Lauren. It had a remarkable quarter last time, but now it's being brought down by the overall hatred of apparel. Now, I think Lauren could be a lot more like outlier tapestry than the other apparel stocks. Uh, I'd be a buyer if this one pulls closer to 100 ahead of when it reports. After the close, we hear from Ulta Beauty, and there's been a lot of chatter because of the tougher macro environment. They're going to be hurt. I think Ulta's a premier retailer that should be 
bought if it breaks down in reaction to a given quarter, or certainly before it even. Why? Because of its loyal rewards program. It's got one of the best rewards program in the country. Go and download the app. You will not believe how strong it is. Then there's Marvell Tech, which may be close to the end of a string of tough quarters. Marvell's got key products that are actually needed to move AI data, but you hardly ever hear about it. Now, I want to give you something that might seem a little counterintuitive given the hatred for retail. I want you to think about Costco. I know it won't be a fabulous quarter because the company is in what we call share take mode, meaning they're undercutting the competition on price even more than usual. But once the share is taken, it doesn't go away. It's sticky, very sticky. And that's why you buy Costco now, not a couple quarters from now, when they're coining money from the new share take. Finally, on Friday, there better be a debt deal. Oh, boy, because we can't go in next weekend without a deal because we're too close to the drop dead day where the Fed doesn't, where the Treasury's going to have to, I don't know, sell oil. What are they going to do? Unlike 2011, where the debt limit was an obscure issue that snuck up on us, this year the debt cycle, debt ceiling debacle is well known. I think it's weighing down the psyche of the whole country. The bottom line. If we do get a debt ceiling deal, it'll certainly move stocks higher, bringing tons of sideline cash back into the market, even if it's earning more than 5% as of now. Yes, stocks will be that attractive. But first, we got to go through this whole process, the agonizing process. So brace yourself and get this. Keep your fingers crossed. Steve in New Hampshire. Steve. Jim, how the hell are you? How you been, man? I'm doing real well. Can't wait to Good. get started next week already. Have oh, to, unfortunately, have to take those two days off. That's what they tell me. Yeah, I've been enjoying you for decades, back to when you had the street.com. Oh, man, now that's the oh, oh, now we're dating ourselves. <laughs> What's going on? Anyway, uh, I've been invested in Devon for a while now, and it's been kind of sleepy, and I was wondering, is it going to pick up after uh, we get into Memorial Day, and should I buy, sell, or hold? We bought Pioneer PXD for the club today. I have to tell you that Pioneer's got a bigger yield and better growth prospects right now than Devon, so PXD is the one you want to be in. Trey in Texas. Trey! Jim, I was heating up leftover shepherd's pie last night when it dawned on me. I didn't want this to begin with, and I definitely don't want it again. I went to my favorite Italian spot, and let me tell you, there's no flavor fix like Olive Garden breadsticks. Do we buy Darden restaurants here? That unlimited salad bowl. My daughter and I would go there on Saturdays. Some of the most best memories of my life. I want to own that stock nine ways to Sunday. I think you're so right about Darden. What a great place. The line is the only problem. Too many people going. That's why I don't want to go there. Can you imagine? Anyway, look, if we do get a debt ceiling deal, it's going to move stocks higher, even though interest rates are high to begin with. But first, we got to get there. All Man Money tonight. This week, we held our monthly meeting for subscribers to the CNBC Investing Club. And we received so many questions from members that we decided to answer some more of them tonight. Don't miss my take on some of your most asked about holdings. Then, closer viewers know that amid the mini banking crisis, there was one name I told you to hold on to. I'm revealing what it should do and why it should do it and why you should own it. And Agco has a finger on the pulse where our global food suppliers, and I'm learning more from the company's top brands. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call 
at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreated in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This week, our investing club held our monthly meeting where my colleague Jeff Marks and I go through our thought process for the club. We discuss our current holdings and we always take member questions. That's one of my favorite things to do. And we always have more questions than time to take them. That's why we thought we'd take some of the leftover ones here tonight. They're so good and give you a taste of what our monthly meetings really look like. If you're not a member of the club and you want to be a part of it, and I sure hope you will be a part of it. You can just open your camera on your phone and scan this QR code behind me to become a member. And I hope you do. Or, of course, you just go to CNBC.com slash investing club. It's so much fun. People do love it. All right. So let's start with club member Drew who says, and I quote, there was lots of club commentary about Berkshire Hathaway, BRK slash B, in regards to both the annual letter thoughts and the stock portfolio. Would your club ever consider it as a holding? Why or why not? Do you know that we have thought about this endlessly? And for the most part, I'm going to give you a reason that I think is a little bit uh, uh, confusing to most people. I don't know what they own, and I don't know what they buy, and I don't know what they're up to. Now, even though they're among the best single investors in the world, I don't like situations. And by the way, Carl Icahn has one. Now, you don't think he may, he's not as great an investor as Warren Buffett. But anything that's a black box that I don't know what it own, I'm not going to buy, even if it's done by the world's greatest investor. 
Next up is Todd, who says, I've been suffering in Western Digital for years. I'm now down over 50%. At first, I thought the, spe- the dividends pay me to wait, but there are none now. So do I take my losses or will this ever come back? Okay, the good news here is that they are in talks to merge with another company from Japan. The bad news here is their balance sheet's not that good, and they, they have not been able to fix it. At this point, I think the price has come down enough that I think you should just hold it and bet that they do make some sort of combination. They do have good businesses. It's just that they have not great balance sheet, and that's what set them back. All right, now we have Gary, who asks, given the potential pent-up IPO demand, the tightening of lending credit, and AI companies requiring capital infusion, would it be a reasonable expectation that Goldman Sachs could see given an upside in underwriting IPOs in the next 12 days, two months? The answer is absolutely. And I've got to tell you, if it weren't for the fact that there are other problems at Goldman, particularly what they did when they went into the consumer banking business, I would tell you to buy Goldman on a spec that this could occur. But let me tell you what I think is better. Morgan Stanley is able to swing into action in the IPO market if they have to. In the interim, you got a better yield and you have very good management. I know that James Gorman is retiring, but not right now. And I like the asset gather and advisory business more than I like the M&A business, particularly with an FTC that seems bent on killing every single deal. Next, we have Steve who asks, is Deer a good holding at this point? Now, look, I've read the Deer call and I think it was I don't know. I mean, they did have some problems in inventory in one particular business. And what I'd like to suggest is, is that that one particular business does not exist at Agco. And at this very moment, Agco, which is about to have a special dividend, which you will not get at this point, but is a better holding than Deer. If you want the part of Deer that I like, which is the construction business, just go buy the stock of Caterpillar, which the club owns and I think is 10 down and maybe 60 up over the course of the next five years. All right. Last we have Grace who asks, What's your opinion on JetBlue Airways, JBLU stock? No, no mergers in that group. You need a merger if you're going to buy JetBlue. There isn't going to be any. The country has decided, the government has decided no more combinations of airlines. And the only airline that I really, really like right now is probably Delta. So I'm going to say Ixnay on the JetBlue nay. All right, next up is Monica, who says, I want to thank Jim for making me and saving me a lot of money. What about McDonald's long term? McDonald's is terrific. Okay, I was rating him the other day in my head because I was thinking about buying some yum for the club, but I like McDonald's. I, I, I have to tell you, I love Wendy's, all right, and I think that yum is great too. And you know that I added Wingstop yesterday to my growth stock list. So there's a lot to like in that industry. And don't forget, of course, Chipotle. Next is Barry, who asks, what's with Builder's first source? The stock continues to go straight up despite all the talk about a coming recession. What a great question. Now, the answer to this is that the one area of strength in all of housing is flooring. I mean, it was good even for Home Depot. It's incredible. Now, we don't know why. It is unnerving to me that I don't know why Flooring has remained the strongest part, but it's part of what people regard as refurbishment. Refurbishment raises the price of your house, and when your house isn't being sold, uh, but you think it's increasing in value, you put money in it. It's considered to be like you're capitalizing your house versus expensing, and flooring is the ultimate capitalization. Next up is Tanya, who says Nucor, symbol NUE, has a buy has a buyback stock plan. Uh, you once said that you're not going to chase Nucor. Should I stop chasing it? All right. Now, this is a great question. I was actually upset with myself that I did not. We had, oh, we had a great hit in Nucor for the club. But then we sold too soon. Now, that's a sucker's play. You never, ever say I sold too soon when you made money. Don't worry about the winners. Worry about the losers. And I got to tell you something, right? 
here, I'm getting real enticed to go back into Nucor. I think it's getting real, real good. But remember, we bought Caterpillar for the club, and we don't want to have too many cyclicals. Now, remember that you can join the club at CNBC.com Investing Club. I'm looking forward to seeing so many of you when I go out to Redondo Beach tomorrow. Yes, at 2 o'clock, total wine. It's going to be a lot of fun. Many club members come. Bring your hats, all side them. But most importantly, join the club. All right? Man, money's back after the break. Coming up, this company has been a gateway to the market for legions of home gamers. Does the stock of Charles Schwab deserve a slice of your mad money? Keep it here. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. When the mini banking crisis first hit, all sorts of financials just got obliterated. Many of them were vulnerable regional banks that actually deserved to get hit. Look what only happened to First Republic. But there were also a lot of babies that got thrown out with the proverbial bathwater. Take Charles Schwab, the retail brokerage firm that somehow plummeted from $76 to $52 in the days after Silicon Valley Bank went under. At the time, I told you this was the most ridiculous thing in the world. Schwab may have its own internal bank, and it does. It shared some characteristics for the regionals. Uh, it was a suboptimal bond portfolio in the bank. But at the end of the day, this is a huge brokerage firm. They're in a totally different line of business. You remember uh, one of those things that is not like the other from Sesame Street? Apparently, a lot of money managers never learned how to play that game. While Schwab's management made it crystal clear they'd be fine, nobody but me seemed to believe them. Since then, we've heard only good news from these guys, only positive developments that make it increasingly obvious Schwab's in no danger, including giant insider buying. Yet the stock hasn't recovered. Sure, rebound a few bucks from its lows earlier this month, but it's still stuck down here at the $51 and change level. And I'm beginning to think this is crazy. It's an outright buy as far as I'm concerned. And, and, and I know those words are strong when it comes to any financial. And yes, they could come back to haunt you. But you know what? For months now, Wall Street's ignored a series of incredibly encouraging data points here. No matter what Schwab tells us, it just doesn't seem to matter. Eventually, though, I have to believe that reality will triumph over denial. And reality is very good for Charles Schwab. What am I talking about? Okay, let me walk you through the story since the last time I recommended this one in March, because it's really pertinent 
because I think this is such an opportunity. First, on April 6th, well after the mini crisis began, we got a terrific business update from the company. After a reassuring explanation of what was going on in the market uh, and why cash might be moving around, Schwab explained that business was, and I'm going to quote here, extremely robust. And by the way, these guys aren't hype artists one bit. They're very plain vanilla. I've known them forever. Now, they, they even saw a $53 billion influx of core net new client assets in March. That's their second best March in history. It's the opposite of a bank run. Then we got an even better update on April 17 when Schwab reported a robust quarter. A nice earnings beat with an inline revenue. We're talking 10% revenue growth, 21% earnings growth. Not what you'd expect from a troubled institution. They did see an 11% decline in deposits at this internal bank that's bedeviled them. But just a couple of weeks before, Wall Street had been worried about a wholesale bank run. At the same time, the bank's only one piece of the pie here. Schwab's primarily a brokerage firm, and they saw a 28% increase in total money market funds and client accounts just quarter over quarter. In many ways, they actually benefited from the turmoil in the banking industry as people pull their money from the smaller banks and invest it in the higher yielding assets like the places they swap. All right. There was only one big negative here, and I am going to emphasize this because I think it did freak people out. The company did pause its buyback program. I wish they hadn't. But it's also understandable given all the hand-wringing about the financials. In response to the quarter, the stock jumped almost 10% over the next three days. I thought, I thought that the pain was over. It back up to 55 and changed. I said, that's it. It's out of the woods. But unfortunately, that turned out to be the high watermark. Without any additional updates from the company, Schwab was once again dragged down by the gravitational pull of the regional bank sector. By the first few days of May, it was back to the mid-40s, despite there being no meaningful company-specific news whatsoever. Just more regional bank worries after First Republic went under. But like I've been telling you for months, Schwab, Schwab is a brokerage firm. It is not a bank. Sure enough, on May 5th, we got another positive update. Management said, and I quote, the favorable month-to-date trajectory highlighted the recent spring business update persisted through the end of April as the pace of outflow slowed during what is historically a stronger outflow month due to tax payments, end quote. They told us that within the ancillary bank business, deposit withdrawals continued to slow. A week later, Schwab released a monthly activity report for April and with even more good news, like the fact that total client assets were up, not down, up 5% year over year and up 1% from the previous month. That is very encouraging. Finally, just this past Monday, an analyst noticed that Schwab was doing fine. Raymond James upgraded the stock from market form to outperform, pointing out that the company has to get, I'm quoting, very little credit risk and an attractive core growth story that was unaffected by recent macro events, end quote. They see Schwab eventually getting a higher price earnings model, but once the earnings per share estimate stabilized, which might not take long. Hey, speaking of the earnings, when I recommended Schwab in March, I pointed out the consensus estimates for 2023 had come all the way down from $4.88 at the end of last year to $4.07 at the time. Since then, even though Schwab reported a three-cent earnings beat in early April, the analysts say just keep cutting numbers. Now the Wall Street consensus has only earned $3.30 per share this year, which is the main reason why I think the stock can't get any love. However, even with that much lower earnings number, and I don't think it's going to come in that way, I think it's going to come in above that, Schwab's still trading at 15.7 times this year's estimates. Uh, That's still much cheaper than its five-year historical average multiple of 19 times earnings. More important, once you get into the middle of the year, Oh, we're going to be there a month and a half. Wall Street starts focusing on the next year's earnings estimates for valuation purposes. And right now, the analysts collectively believe that Schwab can earn $4.13 per share next year. Again, I think that's too low, but that's what they're estimating. So the stock's trading at less than 13 times next year's numbers. This is incredibly cheap for a growth 
finance stock, uh, one of the cheapest in the whole book. Plus, for, of the growth, not of the non-growth, but of the growth. Plus, let's not forget the lower earnings estimates make it much easier for the company to surprise the upside when it reports. So has Schwab taken a meaningful earnings hit from the mini-bank crisis? Yes. But does its stock deserve to be trading like an at-risk regional bank? Absolutely not. Every update from Schwab has been positive over the last couple of months, every single one. Yet the stock hasn't gotten credit for any one of them. Not, no, not at all. It's roughly flat from where it was trading in late March because it's stuck trading with the hobbled regional banks. To me, that's absurd, and sooner or later, Wall Street will figure it out, too. But no one wants to make a stand on any bank lest it turn into the next Silicon Valley or First Republic, even though I think it has very little chance of doing so. The bottom line, as we move further away from the most acute period of the regional bank crisis, I'm sticking with my bet that Charles Schwab's stock can start trading on its own merit again. Bye, bye, bye! which should allow it to work its way higher, likely back to pre-crisis levels. If you're willing to be patient and stick with it, I think you can only rack up some nice gains here. Just remember that it could take some time, for the moment at least, because Wall Street remains in total denial about what's really going on at this very strong brokerage firm. How about we go to Jay in Colorado? Jay. Hey, Jim, how are you? I'm good, Jay, what's happening? Hey, Nezema. So I have a question about Capital One for you. Sure. So I bought Capital One in May of 2022, and when it was down at the time, about 30% from year over year. And I kept buying because I thought I got it at a great discount. I kept buying, buying until it hit $89, and I stopped, and it's back up to $97. What's your stance on that? Do you think it's a good hold stock for the long term, or do you think I should? You know, it's funny. Sometimes in life, I I happen to like Capital One. Sometimes in life, things happen, and it makes it so easy for you. Warren Buffett took a gigantic stake in Cap One. Can anyone analyze a financial better than Warren Buffett? Absolutely not. He's the best in the world. And he bought a ton of stock. And you know what that says to me? Let's go to Reagan in Pennsylvania. Reagan. Rajan, how are you, Jim? Oh, Rajan, I'm sorry. My bad, my bad. What's happening? No much, man. I want to get your idea. I want to get your take on uh, New Holdings, um, a company out there in Brazil. They just had a, a quarterly earnings uh, call the other day. It sounded, it sounded like really good information. Rajan, listen to me. Rajan, listen to me. Uh, that country is on uh, – it, it's had a big run, I know. Uh, but I am saying right here, right now, it's time to ka-ching, ka-ching. I do not like the political environment there. You got a really good gain. Let's do some ski battle. I want to go to Jeff in New York, please, Jeff. Hello, Mr. Kramer. This is Jeff calling from Sotus, New York, just down the road from the PGA Tour in Rochester this weekend. Oh, my God. Ben Stoto, who is, he works with me, I, I, he, he, this thing he's glued to. He's glued to this. I, I guess I got to get into golf. I'm into pickle, whatever the hell that is. What's going on? <laughs> you should come up here with your wife and saw that phosphor up here. My, the Phosphoro Mezcal, my wife sells that and she likes to golf. It's a twofer. How can I make money with, for you, Jeff? My stock has been in the doghouse for a while now, and I'm down 50%. They expect to do better in the second half of this year. But new competition from Apple Pay and the 4% interest they offer, should I move out, of, should I move out and take my losses in PayPal, or will they eventually recover from their struggles? Um, you know what? You mentioned something, and you answered, you answered the whole question, not just my wife's Phosphoro. You're right, it's raining about Apple. Apple Pay is, I think, killing them. And because of that, I think if you get a bounce, he could get a bounce. It was a pretty bad week for PayPal. I think you have to go. I think Apple Pay is so good 
that you no longer even need a wallet. If you're willing to be patient and stick with Schwab, I think you can only rack up some pretty nice darn gains in the stock. Just remember that it could take a little time. Now, much more mad money, so much more mad money, had inclusive with Agco. That's the heavy machinery space ag company that is doing a lot better than Deer, even though I like Deer too. Uh, maybe you take a listen and maybe you take a like it. I'm talking to CEO. Then, sorry to burst your bubble, but is all of this fear of a bubble in big tech unwarranted? I'm telling you where I come down. And of course, all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Right now, we're seeing the same dilemma in all sorts of machinery stocks. While the companies are currently doing great and reporting fantastic quarters, their stocks have been awful because Wall Street's convinced the business is going to get a lot worse going forward. Consider the case of Agco, one of the world's largest makers of farm equipment, a company, by the way, that we introduced about 10 years ago and have liked ever since. Agco reported a stellar quarter, a huge earnings beat, coupled with higher-than-expected sales, up 30% on a constant currency basis. Management raised a full-year forecast substantially, too. At first, Agco's stock did the right thing. It jumped almost 3%. But in less than three weeks, it's given up all those gains and fully roughly 15% from its post-quarter high. Down here, Agco sells for less than eight times its new earnings forecast. When the multiple's that low, it means many investors simply don't believe that they can make their numbers in the future. So has the stock gotten incredibly cheap, or do we need to worry about some sort of looming agricultural slowdown? Let's check in with Eric Hansodia. He is the chairman and CEO of Agco. Mr. Hansodia, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you. Great to close out the week with you, Jim. Okay, so Eric, I, I'm confused. You, you blew out the numbers. It was a record quarter. Came in far better, uh, both top and bottom line. You had strong pricing. You had a better product mix. You had improved margins. Uh, and yet the stock goes down. So maybe what I'm thinking is that there are people who believe that this must be the peak of the cycle, but there's no evidence whatsoever that the ag cycle's peaking. You're absolutely right. The stocks to use ratio, essentially how much grain is in the market, has been coming down for six years in a row. That's one of the best indicators of of how much demand is going to be out there. That is a buoy for grain prices. At the same time, the input costs for our farmers, diesel, fertilizer, and other things, are actually coming down. And these are costs that can be locked in for next year. So we are, are, we've got a full order book for the rest of this year. This year is pretty well set, and we see strong demand well into next year. All right, so some people tell me, well, look, you know what, because I, I share your bullishness. Yeah, Jim, look at the price of fertilizer. That gives you a better indicator of what's going to happen in the ag world. That's not a true tell, is it? Well, it's one input. Fertilizer is one of the inputs that the farmer has, and it's, it's significantly down from where it has been in the last year. Farmers will lock in lower and lower fertilizer prices this year, as an input cost next year. So it's an input to their profitability for 2024. That's why I want to look at it, too. It's just empirically the case. Now, uh, there was a notable di- dichotomy for your company between your sales of large and small ag equipment. Uh, see, in Europe, uh, orders were huge uh, for large. And large is just much more profitable. Do I have to worry about small? And the reason I'm putting it this way is small for, for deer was bad. Your small is different, though. It's ag. It's not lawn. So I think this dichotomy is okay, correct? Yeah, it's okay, but I would also say that the two markets do behave differently. 
the small egg was actually buoyed by COVID. A lot of folks like you and I looked out our window and said, you know what, I'm going to take care of that project I've been thinking about. And so there's some demand pull forward on small egg. Large egg is driven by the amount of grain in the world and what's happening with, uh, fertil- you know, with uh, grain prices versus inputs. That one's really going red hot in South America, Europe, North America, all around the world. So they do, our, they do run at a little bit different cycle. I wanted to ask about South America. Uh, a lot of us in the North are biased. We think it's all leftist. Uh, they can't be doing anything that's good for business. Your numbers, in, I think these may have been the best numbers I've ever seen in South America. What is happening there? Well, there's a tremendous amount of demand and profitability for the South America farmer. They get to grow, grow, in much of South America, they get to grow two and a half crops a year, all the way through as soon as the combine goes through and harvests the crop, right behind it comes the planter. That's very different than anywhere else in the world. So they've got a climate advantage, they've got a currency advantage, they've got a cost advantage. And so right now, they are growing a lot of profitable grain there and, and the market is, is demanding it. So the profitability for the South America farmer, I've been in this business for almost 30 years, it's, about, it's higher than I've ever seen it. They oh, are sir, doing a, a great business there. How much was the uh, decision by the PRC and President Xi to switch to Brazil rather than America for a lot of products? Well, to some extent that was the case, but you know, these are fungible. If, if a, a, a buyer buys from one part of the world, it just shifts kind of where the grain goes. So it's in a given week, it may have an impact, but it's somewhat transient because the, the, the uh, grain flows to wherever the, the price will, will bear. And so it was, a, it was an advantage for South America, but overall it's just an advantage for global ag demand. All right, now, Eric, you taught us about, and you discussed it in calories, which I have learned, thank you for being a great teacher, that we lost 13% of our calories uh, were in Ukraine. It seems when I look back that a lot of our problems with food inflation really did begin in Ukraine. Has anything adjusted positively, or is it just a real problem for the whole world about what's happening there? It is a real problem. And it was coupled with a lot of climate issues. There was drought throughout much of Europe and North America. That was all landing on top of the Ukraine issue. And so it is here to stay, even if the war, which we'd love it for all to end tomorrow, even if it were to end tomorrow, there's a long-standing uh, degradation in the ability for that area to, to grow crops. Uh, and so it's going to be with the market for quite some time. All right, last question I have is that this morning I was talking to my colleague David Faber and I said, you know, precision agriculture is here to stay. And he goes, uh, Jim, yeah, enough, enough. What, is, what does that really mean? And I said, look, look, these machines can do a lot. They can self-drive. They have a lot of things to do. Could you please, for my friend David Faber, explain why precision agriculture does matter? This is at the heart of our company. We are moving to much more of a technology company. Just give you an example of one of the sensors we put on our planter. It's called Smart Firmer. It measures almost 750,000 measurements a minute. With those measurements and onboard compute capacity, that planter, when you put it in autopilot mode, can automatically adjust the amount of seeds you put down per acre in every part of the field. Changes how much fertilizer you use to make sure it's only using the right amount. Changes the amount of depth the planter's planting to make sure it's into moisture for a good germination. And many more things. That's just one. With our, our sprayers, we can identify the difference between a, a weed and the plant. That Probably. precision ag technology then can only put the chemical to the weeds. And, and we're doing that throughout all the machines around the crop cycle. 
This is the heart of our innovation. We've doubled engineering 20% every year. It's where our focus is. We're adding a tremendous amount of value to farmers. Well, Eric Hansody, the reason why your company's making so much money is you are well ahead of everybody else. The technology does matter. And thank you for a special dividend that you're giving shareholders, which is pure joy. And I wish more companies did what you're doing. Thank you so much. Great to see you. Thanks, Jim. Okay. Uh, Eric Hansoda is the CEO of Agco. This is a company we have liked from when the stock was so dramatically lower, and we stick with it. Man, money's back after the break. Coming up, what's in your mind, Kramerica? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dead. Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Robert in California. Robert. Big Booyah Friday to you, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? What's going on? <laughs> Thank you. Hey, uh, about October last year, you uh, were not big on Zim. I'm just wondering, do you feel the same or are you feeling better about I, Zim? I've actually doubled down on my negativity. I do not want you to go near that sell, stock. Sell, sell. I've been dead right. I don't want to go right now to Fernando in New York. Fernando. How you doing, Jim? I'm doing um, well. What's up with you? Good to hear. I, I've got a company here, uh, CTI Pharmaceuticals. It's up over 100% for the year. Um, yeah, what the heck was that stock? I do not understand that stock. I am going to have to take a pass for now and do work because it is just confounding me about what's going on with that company. I'm sorry. I don't know. Now I'm going to Jeff in New Jersey. Jeff. Hey, Jim. I know you don't like companies that don't make any money, but what do you think about Palantar? Okay, Palantir has shifted. They are now, they've gotten religion. They're doing the pivot. And by the way, uh, Bob Pagrata, who is the CEO of of Jacobs, told me, look out, Palantir's doing some great stuff. I am positive, and I now welcome that fellow house on the show. As long as he just, you know, as long as he keeps his, uh, he doesn't use any curse words. I don't like curse words, and I don't use, and sometimes I don't use them. Raj in Maryland, Raj. Hey, Jim, thanks for taking my call, buddy. My, my pleasure, Raj. What's up? Well, I'm uh, new in the investment, but uh, I did investment uh, someone called NEE, uh, Next Era Energy. And, I uh, like Next Year. I love growth utilities, and that's Next Year. It's a good call. Let's go to Carl in California. Carl. Yo, Kramer. Yeah, Carl. Hey. Can you tell me what's going on with this 2.83 P.E., 4.35% yielding, down 20% year-to-date, laggard stock that is H.F. Sinclair? All right, everyone keeps thinking the numbers are going to come down a great deal. I'm with you. I don't think at this point it has nearly as much risk. But, you know, look, let's understand each other. It's only because it's down so much. I've not liked the stock. Let's go to Elliott in Massachusetts. Elliott! Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, happy to tell you. What's going on? I'm a teacher, and I want to teach my students the value of saving and investing. Okay, that sounds good. I'd love to know what you think I should tell my students about Viva Systems. Okay, now Viva Systems is a very, very expensive stock 
but a great company. Cloud-based software for the medical business. It's really got the space to itself. I'm going to say yes, but you understand this is a growth stock for younger people, not for older people, because it is more risky than most that I recommend on the show. Gregory in California. Gregory. So, last Friday, I was feeling a bit left out in the cold, but your imminent arrival has warmed me and the entire South Bay of Los Angeles up, and I'll see you and Lisa in Redondo Beach after my bike ride tomorrow yes. at Total Wine. Yes! <laughs> yes! Two o'clock! I can't wait to get there. What's up? What's up? Okay, this is a natural gas uh, company. It's based in the Appalachians in Pennsylvania. Now, as a club member, I already own Katerra. And I hold a small position in this company. Thought about buying more on this breakout volume and upgrades yesterday and today. It's range resources. But well, Gregory, I you're right. Range is right to buy here. But you got the Kotar is the better. Kotar is the better one. I hope to see you tomorrow. And that, ladies and gentlemen, good of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer's not buying the B word for today's tech. Learn why next. People keep throwing around the term bubble to talk about the greatest tech companies of our era, the Apples, the NVIDIAs, the Microsofts, just because their stocks have been roaring this year. Never mind that there were a whole housing development of pain last year. The house of pain. I don't buy it for the simple reason that I know what a genuine bubble looks like. What do I mean by that? Look, real bubbles are made out of whole cloth, thin gruel, a dash of genuine homespun alchemy, and gallons of flimflam. Truly bubblicious companies tend to have no earnings. More often, they're pre-revenue with little cash and imaginary prospects. I know it sounds ridiculous that anybody would bet on such bogus stocks, but just in the last 25 years, we've actually had two markets where these kinds of companies dominated. It happened during the dot-com bubble, especially near the end in 1999 and 2000. Then it happened again in 2021 when we had 600 companies come public via IPO or SPAC deals, and most of them checked off every bubble box I just mentioned. We had worthless SPACs, worthless small caps, dubious biotechs, fraudulent electric vehicle companies, and all sorts of social back whole cloth companies. Uh, there were cars that couldn't fly rockets that couldn't take off and planes that can't fly with stocks now too small to talk about on air. But man, as ridiculous as 2021 was, that was a blue chip bubble compared to the last bubble I lived through. And no, I'm not talking about my cameo in Iron Man when Stark Industries, a military contractor, got out of the defense business. I'm talking about the original dot-com era, where I brought a company public called TheStreet.com, even though it was hemorrhaging money faster than the Hoover Dam with a crack in it. And we were only one of the best ones. The street at least had money and a game plan, which is why it survived. During the period when I took the street.com public, we had about 330 other IPOs, and only 30 of them made it through. Yeah, it was a horror show. I remember giving a presentation at the Goldman Sachs Tech Conference in London, where I talked about, I talked like an ophthalmologist lecturing about captured eyeballs, the currency, the retina, for heaven's sake. Relevant because in 1999, we had a whole cohort of internet stocks that traded purely on page views. Earnings, sales, cash flow, no, no, no. What mattered were counting eyeballs and mouse clicks. It was a complete joke. Now let's look at where we are at the moment. The tech firms we're now blasting as part of the bubble are among the most well-capitalized companies on earth with truly gargantuan earnings. With some of these enterprises, you got to go back to the robber baron era to find something similarly lucrative. Like when John D. Rockefeller cornered the entire oil market in the country. Hey, you think Musk is doing well? 
at Rockefeller. He crushed it. So is NVIDIA a super expensive stock at 68 times earnings? Let me tell you where I stand on this stock, which I've liked since it traded at $17. It's now at $313. When I first discovered NVIDIA, oddly from the head of Aldi North America, who said that the company's best known for gaming chips was actually at the heart of what of, uh, of, of so much of what his cars were great about, I ruled it out as too expensive to talk on the show. Back then, NVIDIA was trading 100 times forward earnings. I felt like a fool saying anything good about it. A year later, I realized that it had actually been selling at just 16 times forward earnings right then, because when the numbers came in, they were much, much greater than even the most outrageously positive analysts expected. Who's to say that won't happen again? More important, whether we're talking NVIDIA or Apple or Microsoft, every one of these so-called bubble stocks has enough cash in the balance sheet to put most countries to shame. We live in a time when the most powerful government in the world might default on its obligations purely because of political dysfunction. But these terrific companies sit on mountains of cash and collect tons of interest in the process. Sure, you can trim some of these high-quality tech stocks into strength if you own them all. Hey, by the way, we own all of them for our charitable trust, and we like to take something off the table when we can. We're long-term greedy, though. If you want to say these stocks have gotten ahead of themselves, I think that's fine. But if you want to call them bubbles, you're out of your mind. I want you to save that label for 2021 or for the turn of the century. They are much more deserving of the appropriate. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 